And all your energy is spent. And you have nowhere to turn. Well, Luke records this in chapter 24 when two of Christ's disciples decide to go for a walk. And in doing so, Christ had to intervene. Let me explain. It's the third day, and all their hopes and dreams were dashed upon the rocks. Their faith has been crushed. They're walking along, away from Jerusalem, up to Emmaus, about seven miles away. And as they were walking, you know, a lot of times you, you, you realize that our bodies speak for us. You know, there's somebody that walks like this, that's upright and springy, and then there's those that walk like this, just downtrodden. Seven miles of just going slow, kicking that dirt, just eating within themselves and talking about what has happened. And then this stranger comes up. They don't recognize him. And he says, what are you talking about? He said, they said, haven't you heard what happened in Jerusalem? Haven't you heard that the chief priest and the rulers have arrested this Jesus of Nazareth and has crucified him? And now it's the third day. And some of the women folk that was with us has gone to his grave and said that they saw angels and he's not there. And even two of our number went and looked and it was as they said. And then this stranger started to talk to them and opened their minds to the scriptures. But yet, they still did not see Jesus. It was getting late in the day and they said, let's stop and let's take rest right here. Let's get us some food and eat. And the stranger said, no, I think I'll just go on. No, please, please stay with us. It's getting, it's getting ready to be dark. Please stay with us. And he did. And then when they brought out the food and he broke the bread, what happened? They finally realized who was with them. You see, what had happened was, yes, their faith was dashed upon the rocks. Yes, their hope was also damaged. But it was their vision that they didn't see. Because they answered him, but we had hoped. Now take a second right there and think about that. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Have we not said those same words? But we had hoped that the doctor would give us a better outcome. We had hoped that the surgery would have taken care of this. We had hoped that God would intervene and take care of this. And yet, what they got was something far more greater than what they wanted. Yes, Christ could have been victorious. Yes, Jesus could have spent the next 40 years setting up a cabinet with his apostles and everything. But it was not an earthly kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom. So what do you do? What do you do when faith comes under attack? What do you do when hope starts 
to dwindle out. And it, all it is is just a lightly burning wick that the smoke is coming up. I tell you what you do. You stand firm. You stand firm in the faith and you be courageous. That's right. You stand firm in the faith and you be courageous. Because what happens is when Paul uh, writes to the church at Ephesus, and today, go ahead and get your Bibles out and let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Now, the book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I'll tell you why. I have a book back home that said that compared to Romans, Ephesians is the second best book on theology. Well, I totally agree with Romans being the best book on theology as far as Christianity 101. If you want to know about Christianity 101, you read Romans. You want to know what Paul taught when he went to the churches and how he established them and what did he talk about and what did he based upon? That's Romans. But if you want to read how we should live today, read Ephesians. Compared to Romans, Ephesians is the second best book on theology. Now you know and I know this is a season of all these different things. Matter of fact, right now you can go to any large department store and you're going to see orange for pumpkins, you're going to see copolas out for Thanksgiving, and matter of fact, you'll even see the Christmas trees out, right? It's all out there right now. And when I see that, my mind goes back. As you get older, you like those memories, you know? And we were talking about that this past week, about Christmas. Well, we don't need a big Christmas tree. I don't have a place to store it. Well, yeah, that's true. But you know, when I was a little kid and I went to my grandfather's house, he had this ornaments, these ornaments that had like a half ball on the bottom and then it kind of came up like a, like a cone and then it had a glass tube and it had little bitty bubbles that came up through it in the light. And as a little kid, you know, no taller than this, I would just be fascinated by them. Because all we had was one of them aluminum foil Christmas trees. Now, a lot of you don't know about the aluminum foil Christmas trees, but we had one of them. They had the rotating light that one minute would be green and next minute would be red. And if you had the red balls on there and it turned red, you couldn't hardly see them or they just seemed to not have any color at all. You know, and that was fascinating as a kid just to sit there and watch that. And I'm thinking that now that I have my grandchildren, I want them to have memories too. And sometimes, you know, just having a little old small Christmas tree just, just ain't enough, you know? It's just not enough because we've got to have something to hold on to. You see, it's kind of like this, this story where a dad was putting his son to bed and before they went to bed, there was a big thunderstorm came up and the little boy was scared. And he was saying the prayers to the little boy, and the little boy said, Daddy, can, can I sleep with you tonight, or can you sleep with me? And he said, well, son, you know God's going to take care of you. And he said, yeah, Daddy, I know. But right now, I just need somebody with some skin on. <laughs> have you ever felt that way? I know I have. You know, sometimes it would just be so nice if God could just come down and just pat me on the back and say, Jim, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. What, she's, what is he going to say? Stand firm in the faith and be courageous. Now, at Christmas time, when you go home and see the family, right? 
You always have to go home. And as you, you're young and you got children, you got to spend time at, at, at my family and i got to spend time at your family and how are we going to get there and who eats here or there and is there going to be ham there or turkey there well, then let's have meatloaf or this or that or whatever, right? you got all those things. Well, now as you get older and you get grandkids, they get to come to you. That's pretty nice, you know. They get to come to you. But at the same time frame, when I was back home, what was the most important time that when you went back home? Yes, it was the time there. It was the time sitting around the table sharing the memories. But it was also important when we left. Because when you left, you said the most important things. The things that really meant something. The things such as, son, I'm really proud of you. Son, it looks like everything's going to be all right. Those things are words that I love to hear from my father and my mom. They're not here no more. I don't get to hear them no more. But at least they were said. And Paul does that for us in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Let us go there for a second. In Ephesians chapter 6, this is toward the very end of it, Paul says... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Then he tells us to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, Paul realized that the devil is going to fight against you. Because, see, you picked a side. You made a choice. You made a decision. And so the devil's coming after you. So what do you need to do? Just pick up a sword? No. He says the full armor of God. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. When Paul wrote this, he was in his first imprisonment around 60 to 63 A.D. Paul is writing and giving encouragement to the church at Ephesus and in the Asia Minor area for them to read And what is he using? The powers and the authorities that have arrested him, he's saying put on the full armor of God. Because this is why. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So we have a struggle. And it's not flesh and blood. It's not what we see with our eyes, but against the rulers against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Now this is the second time he says it. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the what? The belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, Be alert 
and always keep on praying for all the saints. And he also finishes off with praying for me also. So did you catch it? Did you see what was there? Yes, he wants you to put on the full armor of God, the belt, the breastplate, right? Feet fitted with readiness, shield, sword, helmet. But what was the one last thing that he talked about? The most powerful thing is prayer. It's prayer. When was the last time when our faith got dashed upon the rocks, when our hope was crushed, did we turn to prayer? You know, a lot of times Satan is very good at what he does. He's very good. And only one person could, could take, on, take him on and deal with him the way that they dealt with, and that was Jesus. He's going to knock us down. He's going to take the air out of us. He's going to take the strength out of us. But what we have is something more powerful than anything. Not only is it prayer, but we're going to find it in chapter 3 of Ephesians. So let's go there. In chapter 3, starting at verse 7, Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for the ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers, the authorities, in the heavenly realms. Now did you catch that? Let's read that one more time. Because I don't want you to miss it. God's intent was that now, through the church, through us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to who? Who is our battle against? the rulers, and the authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, let's put it all together. Let's bring it all together where it makes sense. And I'm going to stop right here because I'm getting ready to come back. So leave your finger right there. Don't move it. Don't touch that dial. Don't change that channel because I can guarantee you you're going to see something you probably have never seen before. You see, what got us into trouble? Really, what got us into trouble? We just ate from the wrong tree. That was it. We made a bad choice. But that choice gave us what? That choice gave us wisdom. So God wants us to use that wisdom to get back in relationship with Him. But at the same time, when we got that wisdom, what was the first thing that we realized? How smart we were? No. How we were unclothed. We were naked. So we tried to take care of ourselves and get some fig leaves and put them together. But yet, when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, what were they wearing? If you say fig leaves, 
You didn't read the rest of it. That's right. It was animal skins. So how did God get these animal skins? Did he just go down to... No, he... No. He had to kill them. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So he clothed them. So now, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and see the beauty of God. In verse 12 it says, In Him, meaning Christ, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with what? Freedom and confidence. Now let's think about this for a minute. What happened in the garden? Did Adam and Eve have any confidence to come before God? No, they hid. Why? Because they were ashamed of their nakedness. And at that moment, they were no longer free, but they were slaves to what, church? Sin, right? So how does God see you? Clothed in Christ or naked with sin? That's really what it's all about, isn't it? God wants us to use that knowledge that we have gained in the garden to be able to obtain access to Him and be able to approach Him with what? Freedom and confidence. But we've got to be in Him and we have to have faith where? In Him. So now we have to ask ourselves, what is faith? Now is faith what church you go to? That's what some people would have you to think, but that's not it. No, no. It's in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example. Brad, I got my faith right here in my hand. Where's the top of it at? You can't see it, can you? Only I know where that faith is and maybe God knows, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So let's go back to that road to Emmaus. The time when these two guys, on the third day, instead of staying there waiting to see what God had planned to do, what did they do? That, we've got to have a change of venue. Let's go to Emmaus. And as they walked and drugged their feet, God couldn't let them stay that way. Christ had to come and walk along with them. And it wasn't until he broke bread and they noticed those nail-scarred hands that God was not going to leave them alone. Now let's think about this for a minute. Let's go back in this story. They begged him to stay with them because why? It was getting late at night. It's time to, time to bed down. Time to get ready. And what does Luke say? They ran all the way back to Jerusalem to let them know what had happened. You see, God has a way of changing you. God has a way of making things what we think, what we want. He says, wait a minute. I want to surprise you. I want to be even beyond what you can even think or imagine. So do we find that in Ephesians chapter 3? Well, let's see. It says here in verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole 
family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses, wait a minute, knowledge. Where did we first hear about that knowledge? It's what got us into trouble. Love is greater than knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Approaching God with freedom and confidence. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against rulers and authorities, and the powers in the heavenly realm. What are our tools, church? It's this right here. It's that encouragement. It's that love that goes between us. If you today have been downtrodden, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here because you need to hear what's in store for you. A hope that is beyond Immeasurable. I want like to read this to you. Hope is not what you expect. It is what you would never dream. It is a wild, improbable tale with a pinch me, I'm dreaming ending. It's Abraham adjusting his bifocals so he can not only see his grandson, but his son. It's Moses standing at the promised land, not with Aaron or Miriam at his side, but with Elijah and the transfigured Christ. It's Zechariah left speechless at the sight of his wife, Elizabeth, gray-haired and pregnant. And it is the two Emmaus-bound pilgrims reaching out to take a piece of bread, only to see the hands from which it was offered are pierced. Hope is not granted, wish, or a favor performed. No, it's far greater than that. It's a zany, unpredictable dependence on God who loves to surprise us out of our socks and be there in the flesh to see our reaction. You see, you may have lived your life and your vision is not really focused Your hope was on this, and yet God has this for you in store. But remember, we have to have faith in Him. So stand firm. Stand firm in the faith and be courageous. Don't let Satan take you down. And if you need the prayers of this church at this time, we pray that you will come as we stand and sing.